Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever in the world you might be. This is Nicole BZ, and you are listening to the Relatable series. I am always excited about who I get to speak with. And admittedly, this is a newer connection that I am so honored and so thrilled to have made. And I can't wait for you guys to learn more about Lee Siegfried. And so now you had, you made me practice your name and now I was like, oh my God, am I saying it right? Am I saying it right? <laughs> so, Reverse paranoia. Um, Lee Siegfried, did I get it right? You got it totally okay, right. Woo! Yeah. Um, woo! Lee Siegfried. Did I, did I say that enough times? Um, <laughs> you said it right. Is the owner and the founder of Op Barks. And I okay. am actually, I know you guys let me well, you expect mm. me to let someone choose <laughs> the mm. origin story, but I think Lee's story is so inspiring and and super mm. interesting. And I'll let her, I'll let her just tell the story of of how you started your business, how you got into business in the first place. We're gonna talk all about the journey. I'm gonna, mm. you know, ask you a million thousand questions mm. as I do, Love but it. let you know, let it let it roam far and wide because I. I think what you're doing is super cool, mm -hmm. but how you got started and how you managed to carve out this mm. business with multiple locations in a very busy urban area and doing something that no one ever thought you could literally have a like a career in, let alone an entire business that's independent as well. So Lee, how did you get started? When Beautiful. did it start? Why did it start? All the things. Sure. Okay. So where was I? I live at that time. I lived in Northern Virginia. So I was in Alexandria, Virginia. I was at a school. I basically was finding myself in the marketing and advertising world. So working at agencies, working in account management, and then I moved over to the retail copywriting side of things. And I really just had this moment where <laughs> it was like, okay, is this life? Am I getting up and driving somewhere and putting on pantyhose and pantsuits and like going into a cold office where I'm constantly wearing like a fleece vest and editing copy all day and going home. So <laughs> I remember the highlight of those days being to like go eat lunch outside and get some sun on my face and then maybe go for a trail run after work. So I began to really look in like, what was I perhaps passionate about? And, and kind of be in that inquiry. And that was like, you know, the early 20s where things I think for a lot of people are just like kind of a hot mess. So that just to just to give people a little context yeah. as well, that was early 20s. Yeah. Was that your early 20s? That was my early 20s. And then yeah. this is like the greater Philadelphia area. In the so, States? OK, so I yeah, well, I was in northern Virginia for about seven years. Right. While I was there. And this is this is funny. Like, this is how long ago this was. I took a wait for it correspondence course where wow. I was sending back homework. I was going to say for, for everyone out there whose early 20s were not in the early 20s, no. that means you used the post office to mm -hmm. send physical pieces of paper back yes. and forth. <laughs> It is wild in hindsight. So I, I, I began to look into <laughs> the dinosaurs this. Dinosaurs like, had recently gone extinct <laughs> yeah. and color television had just been invented. So it was it was yeah. a wild time to be alive. Yeah. The Spice My Girls material. were a thing. Were the Spice Girls? No. Were the Spice Girls mm, a thing? That might have been... Maybe I might, have, I might be really dating myself. Okay. But it's okay. It's okay. The the course materials lived in a three ring binder and everything was handwritten. <gasps> so I, I know. So I love Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trapper keeper. Um, so I I began to like be in this inquiry of like what would I be passionate about? Started volunteering at a local shelter 
took this said correspondence course to get my quote certification as a dog trainer. Mm. And then got to the other side of that while working full time and realized I really don't like this was nice, but I really need a lot more hands-on experience to feel more competent and good at what I'm doing. So that led to more shelter training work, which then led to pursuing a very, very part-time opportunity to instruct and assist with dog training classes. So, and so this is all juggling the office job, right? Yeah. So this is basically you were like, what am I passionate about? I like dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like dogs. dogs. Sounds like, sounds like that could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So started with this business on a very part-time basis, just assisting, setting up a room, cleaning up, you know, doing what I needed to do to assist the trainer that was like their, their trainer. And then that turned into a, could I actually move into this industry? And like, I wouldn't say that the training industry was an industry yet, but it dog daycare was just a concept that seemed to have come to the East coast. Mm -hmm. The dog daycare industry was just beginning to become a thing. And where I was living at the time near Arlington, Virginia, it's, you know, these are a lot of dual income families with a dog. And they're working a lot and they need to do something with that dog. And so daycare began, I don't know when daycare began, but I would say that that was probably like the 90s into the 2000s where the daycare industry began to become part of the pet industry. So I really looked at, could I make that transition as an opportunity to, could I get my hands on more dogs and and learn more, which I did for a few years. I managed a daycare and training center began to really help them run operations and then look at what we could be doing in terms of training. And at the same time, began my own business, just meeting with clients one-on-one in people's homes. So that's how, that's how I started. And then I, I wanted more experience. So I transitioned into the shelter world. So in the shelter world, there's open admissions and closed admission shelters, which basically means you're either open to accept all the dogs from the public and you don't refuse anyone and or you kind of evaluate them on their way in to see if you can fit their your what the quote adaptability profile. So again, at that point, I really wanted to get as much like cross training as possible. So I took a position as an executive assistant. And just okay, yeah. so I, so yeah, talk me through because mm-hmm. I hear like so I started doing one on one with people in their homes. Did somebody approach mm-hmm. you for that, or did you have like once you mm-hmm. figured out this is what you love? Was it then Mm -hmm. about kind of creating and then navigating a career path or was Mm -hmm. it more like someone asked you to come to their home and then a shelter was like, hey, Lee, can you help us out with it? I I find that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like a pretty Mm -hmm. driven, Mm -hmm. I have a a final destination and I'm driving Mm -hmm. towards it. Or it's more like it kind of unfolds organically and Mm -hmm. you're almost just responding to what's happening or somewhere in between. I would say I was probably, it was probably the driven so what was like the moment where you realized, like, did you, have you quit your job at this point? Okay. So let me think about this. No, I had been building my business for a few years, meeting with people in their homes. And then I transitioned, let's see, was I? No. Okay. So I worked in the shelter setting, started as an executive assistant and said, within 90 days, I'm going to be working in their behavior department or I'm, or I'm out of here. There you go. Uh, or I'm out yeah. of here. Right. And there were a lot of staffing changes and very quickly I find myself in that role, which was really great well, for me. Well, and I bet 
sorry, I know mm-hmm. I keep interrupting you. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hearing other people asking these questions because I think mm-hmm. your story is just so damn relatable, but also inspiring. Mm-hmm. You probably didn't want to take the executive assistant role. Mm-hmm. No, that was a stepping stone, hence the timeline mm-hmm. around it, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah I mean, that- I find like so often because I do work with people, I, you know, I refer to them as my corporate refugees, but people who are trying to ascend and or get get the fuck out but the yeah it's the way that they're thinking about their job and work and oftentimes a lateral move which exposes them to i mean if you're an executive assistant you're working with an executive uh mm-hmm. you're going to mm-hmm. get different information and work with different people and and update and like update your skills but in a a more roundabout kind of way mm-hmm. so that's why i ask is is I know every job I've ever had started by working for free. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. Yeah. I'd love to learn more about that. So in exchange for learning, how about like I throw a couple hours at you and we just see what this is like. It's It can sometimes yeah. feel like a step back or a step mm-hmm. down when you're trying mm-hmm. to get into something new or trying to create something that never existed before. And so I love that mm-hmm. you were like executive assistant, but there's a 90 day timeline on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had some time frame in my mind, you know, and I did leave out the part. I'm like, Oh yeah, I, this is what happens. Like I just forget that while I was in that inquiry, I also managed a dog walking business as their on-call manager. So I was like walking dogs on like a weekend and then one weekend a month would just, okay, ready, get ready to get in the time machine. I held on to the beeper and if another walker, if a walker on site had, yeah, <laughs> the old beeper, and we were printing out map quest directions for the walkers. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. So yeah. So at that point I was just really immersing myself in different parts of the industry just to get the hands-on experience, but also just to see what it was like. Right. Yep. But in the shelter world, it was yeah, my intention is not to stay stay in an administrative role. Ultimately, my intention is to get my hands on dogs or be working in some like direct way with dogs again. So, yeah, that that, <laughs> and I was good at the assistant role just because I was on it and paying attention, right? But it ultimately did lead me to being able to work in a well in a a fairly high capacity shelter that actually did quite a bit of outreach not just in the in, in an urban area, but also it exposed me to, we would do transportation. You know, tra- okay, in the shelter world, there's, there's transports. So transports are just either you're going to procure dogs from a different part of the States and, and basically bringing them back to the right. shelter, right? Or you're helping some other team on the ground be able to evaluate for for that very thing. And we, we would go to other urban you know areas. I mean, when you're in DC, there's lots of like nearby options, you know, kind of a different conversation. But when, as you, as you radiate from the urban areas, the, the types of dogs and sort of, you know, what you're seeing in different county shelters and different states, it's a whole different ballgame. So that really gave me, I'd say a lot of cross training from high income pet owner to, hey, I'm here with my dog. What, what can you do to help me? So it put me, it kind of tossed me into the sea of humanity too. And I would say, honestly, that job, I was woefully underprepared for what I would be exposed to in that role. And there was really nothing, I don't know that there is in the shelter world at this point, but just have a hot second to talk about compassion fatigue. I didn't know what mm. I got hit by, but I know that when I left, I needed to like not work within the shelter world for a while. 
like a long while. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that was like in that learning process, I continued to build my business. So I continued to meet with people one-on-one. I was teaching classes, leading classes, working with the dogs at the shelter, creating enrichment and training protocols for those dogs, beginning to do staff training, beginning to do volunteer training. So, you know, it was, it was again, like I think of it like the cross training was sort of the, the end goal. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately led me to consult within the industry for a bit. I was able to come back and consult with some of the Michael Vick dogs that were seized at that point, which was such a huge story. I spoke at some like HSUS conferences, Humane Society of the US conferences on enrichment and training. So it, it allowed me to kind of get into a world, but play by my own rules a little bit, which was kind of cool. So- what do you think, and you might not be able to answer this question, mm-hmm. uh, and this is really just from out of my own selfish curiosity yeah. here, but what was the driver? Was it to help dogs? Was it to impact the community? Was it to empower people to have better relationships? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously you're a dog lover. I think a lot of us mm-hmm. can would qualify ourselves as dog lovers, but like mm-hmm. I didn't dedicate my entire life <laughs> to building a business oh, that, fun. you know, like empowers both dogs and their owners. Mm-hmm. So why, like for you, what was the slippery slope? Because what I'm hearing is like my own like obsessiveness that can show up when something like mm. gets me like, you know, it's like I love tech, but I was talking with a client <laughs> yesterday about everything that's been happening with pixels and cookies and web three and email platforms. And she was like, why do you know this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, it it goes beyond like a a morbid fascination. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, like in this early stage of going, okay, there's probably a million different ways you could specialize or, you know, a variety of different businesses you could actually start. What, really pushed you to walk the path that you ended up running? Mm, That's an amazing question. Well, I I feel like it was like following a thread, you know, it's like, I just kept seeing where it was going to take me. (laughs) As everything else unravels around you, you're Mm -hmm. like, no, but, but we're going to be okay here. (laughs) I mean, it was wild. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's still a little wild, right. But it was wild because, you know, at that time there, the idea of doing that for a living again I mean, it, and in still some ways, this, the dog industry, the dog training industry in particular, is, is it's in some sort of like cottage phase still, but I think that's going to change. So it was following a thread, but I think that through all the various experiences, the the commonality was like, what actually is in service to the dog and to the people? Mm. Because there's a lot of businesses that are pet based that are in service to the people, but not the dog. Mm-hmm. So you know, just as an example, what I would see in terms of which, which wasn't great in a high capacity animal shelter in terms of the behavioral outcomes of that yeah, wasn't actually that different from a lot of the models that are in business housing dogs. Right. So it was going like, well, that's not working or that can be improved. And then it was like, okay, well, how do we do this in a way that actually serves, improves, maybe like cultivates wellness even? you know, and for our, for the human end of it, say my favorite part is when people, (laughs) when people are really open and curious to change and they will, you can just meet them where they're at and they kind of surrender and they're like, just help. Like, and we're like, awesome. Thank you for your trust. Let's go. You know? So I would say now it's, it's driven, it's driven from a standpoint of how can we do this even better and how can we make an impact and how can we evolve and how can we perhaps integrate tech to reach more people, you know? So 
What's funny about the industry now, right, is that it's actually an industry. Yeah. So 20 years ago, people were taking the old correspondence courses. They were maybe teaching at a local big box store, maybe seeing some clients on the side. But most people were like this industry kind of grew out of competitive obedience people that I'm going to say it, you know, when you think of like best in show, the movie, it's like they're wearing the ugly dog sweaters and they've they've had this breed for their entire life. And you're like, okay, cool. And they're, they're going to teach your local obedience class. And it's kind of morphing into lifestyle. But I think the biggest change that I'm seeing is that there are several different models for people to actually do this for a living that I'm going to say it's as recent as the last five years, which is wild. It's great because a lot of dogs are going to benefit. And, and it's just wild to see how that's evolved because people were not making a living doing this. It was usually a dual employment kind of deal. It was like, I'm managing the daycare and I'm doing this on the side, or I'm doing this and I'm doing this. So Okay. So I want to get into the yeah. industry's current state, but just to kind of wrap mm-hmm. up where yeah, you're yeah. at right now. So you, you're kind of, obviously you've got, you've trailblazed, you've created mm-hmm. a reputation for yourself. You're speaking at conferences. People are turning to you, high profile people and high profile news sources are turning to you to get your mm-hmm. opinion on things. When did, when did you like open? Well, so, I mean, I know you've been in business yeah. training people's dogs, but like, when did you open your first location? And yes. tell us a little okay. bit about your business, like what it looks like right now. Right. Okay. So this is when I'm like, realized how fully insane I am in the best way. So I only talk to insane people. So you're good. Beautiful. You're safe. So I moved to, we we relocated to Pennsylvania and we looked for a property with some land. And I just had this thought in my head that like, we want to, we want, you know, the place with the outbuilding and like some acreage. And I just totally in my head heard like, this is not just for you. Like this is for dogs or people or something's going to come of this. So again, following the thread, when it came to the Philadelphia market, there was maybe one dog daycare and it was at its inception phase of opening. So I partnered with them to begin to teach classes there. And we had an in-home model where we were working with people one-on-one on their homes, very similar to what I was doing in the Northern Virginia, DC area. And the tricky thing about our industry too, is the more experience you get, the harder the dogs get. So that's just a funny thing, but did, anyway. okay. So I, this, mm. this can't like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you this mm. entire interview. Apparently what did the dog whisperer do to the industry? Oh my God. So I'll circle us back. The, no, <laughs> this like, is great. It was just interesting because I was floating yeah. around and then when you said the better you get, the harder it gets, which I yeah. think you could relate to that in a lot of in different any ways. Industry, or like, maybe. Yeah. Any, any person at yeah. a certain level of like career and experience can relate to that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's probably also something that happens when it becomes notorious by a reality TV. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, the hard stuff is the uh, televised <laughs> version. Yeah, right. So at that time, and like how I was training and sort of the community of trainers that I was in, like people, it, you know, it ranged, it mostly felt ragey from the inside of the training industry, right? They're like, oh my God, can you believe like what this guy's doing? Blah, 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 blah. And mostly when I look back, I'm like, I think here's what happened. I think reality TV and dog training and Caesar really brought the idea of dog training to be much more accessible to so many people. And I think the idea of a trainer coming to you or coming to your home to help you, I think a lot of trainers owe him some level of thanks for actually creating more awareness of the industry, whether you agree with his methods or not. It kind of weirdly... I feel like it, it it affected the industry 
in a way that may have actually paved the way for it to become what it is today. Cool. Maybe in the States, right? I don't know about everywhere. But yeah, people have strong opinions on that guy. But I think like at the end of the day, there was so much more awareness of dog training as an idea for your for your pet owner. So in some ways, we'll never really know the results of that. But I can't help but wonder how that's affected anyone <laughs> who actually teaches or works with people and dogs. Yeah, no, totally. And I, well, I love the mm-hmm. point that you made that also like a dog trainer coming to your home. Most people... Mm-hmm hadn't even really thought about it like that, but okay. So back to your skills are growing, your your challenges are growing. Yeah. So I I moved to Pennsylvania and I came to the Philly market. There was one daycare about to open. We partnered to be able to do training classes within their space. And I said to myself, "I, I need to go full service. Like, Hey, I'm new in town. Nobody knows me. And I need to be doing more than just like Lee running around seeing appointments. So we partnered, we taught classes there for a couple years. We got things rolling. We maintained that in-home model. And I just felt, you know, I had been doing it for a while at that point. I don't know the number of years, but let's say it was a significant number of years. If I moved to Pennsylvania in the state, like 2007, we, we opened our first location. Let's see. I was probably really in Philly, like 2008-ish. We opened our first oof, location in 2000, <laughs> 2016. Okay. So we partnered with this space for a long time. And then what I became really more clear about, so talk about organic growth, like we took our time, but what I became clear about is like the kind of experience I wanted to create for people. Mm. And it was very clear that it had to be, that vibe had to be curated and created unto itself. It could not be like an afterthought, you know, like, Hey, come on in. Don't mind the awful lighting and the refractory noise, but come on in, let's try, you know. So <laughs> we'll circle back so, to that because I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I wanted people to have a certain experience and I wanted to have more control or vision. I wanted to have, I, I guess I'd say I had a vision that I wanted to bring to life and I knew it had to be created outside of the current model. And quite frankly, you know, not to sound like somebody who's on the road. I had been doing in-home training for such a long time. And I think I read something today. It might be maybe vet techs or techs. Like the burnout rate for for people within the pet industry is with the burgeoning demand from the number of people that adopted dogs in 2020 into now. It's a, it's really interesting to see. I'll talk about the pet industry for a hot minute. There's a lot of venture capital being invested because they're identifying this as like a recession-proof industry. However, it's like when you look at quality of life for people, and this is a big thing coming from the shelter side of it, it's like the balancing act of being able to do a, do- a, a job that is high stress, but like really help everybody balance that out. But yeah, I had, so back to, I'd been on the road for a while. <laughs> I'd been on the road. You know that, BZ. BZ's been I on do. The road. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I can see why, a lot of people get in and out of the business in a couple of years. Like if you keep doing this, like it works to some degree, but I was just feeling like this was not the, the end of the road and feeling like taking it in house to a place where people came to us would not only allow us to do what we do and, and, and do it well, but also not drain our own batteries. You know, you're mm. running around town, driving 30 minutes here, you get stuck in traffic. Oh, you have to find a parking. It's like, it's a whole thing. You have to build it into your day and it also limits the number of people you can see. So yeah. So, so how we went, many locations mm. did you okay. have? I know that's kind of a number that's currently in flux mm. with the land. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just tell us about business kind of as that 
now and also like you're you have employees and you have managers yeah. and it's structured pretty differently my understanding is at least than a lot of your you know competitors if you think about it like that yeah i i would say probably a lot of people are pursuing an in-home model or like a solopreneur model which can be a great model like don't get me yeah. wrong i am so grateful to have an amazing team like an amazing team that really upholds and supports the vision and i think the thing that really 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 excites us is like it's as simple as just like honestly making a difference with people like it I mean, it hits again and again. <laughs> and then it's like getting people out of the weeds. So right now, I'll talk more about that. But right now, what things look like. So I opened our first studio in 2016, which here's the insane part, was also the time when I gave birth. Yeah. That so was, yeah. construction, location scouting, which took a while. And then just being patient, being patient. Had my daughter at the end of August. I think we were open. No, we opened. We opened in like June or July. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, like that. I think I was back at it in September, October. At that point, we were just getting things up and running at that location. And it was just like steady as it goes, like <laughs> hold the space. Let's see what happens here. And then so you know how things like speed up, right? So like the first time we found space, it took so long. The second time it was like a Craigslist ad and like, oh, it's across the street from a vet. So <laughs> You're like, this This is interesting. We had no idea it was right here. And that was a much quicker decision to move into that space. And like, it's all trial and error, right? But it's like, you're just doing it in real time with bigger risks. And I know that not everybody's equipped to like, <laughs> it, it used to terrify me, but now it's like, it's just sort of also like, it doesn't scare me <laughs> anymore. Yeah, no. And that's what like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of things just take practice. I yeah. actually don't really believe that any of us are just born with some innate talent that other people don't right. have. That's my own perspective on it. Mm. But thank you for expanding on that. Now taking risks yeah. for you feels normal and easy, but then it was terrifying hard. And I mean, yeah, like I mean, just to, it still took you eight, eight years to open the first location. So <laughs> Like, right. And I mean, like your runway and then, yeah, it got shorter and shorter. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's yeah. never easy. It's never not scary. I don't know what the safe. Let's let's try that word. Um, right. It always scares the fucking shit out of you, even when mm -hmm. it's like you're like you've mm -hmm. just kind of turned. I always use the example of like Olympic ski jumpers. Like mm -hmm. no, no part of them was ever like, oh, let's go 60 miles an hour and draw, jump off like what is essentially four stories worth of height. They had to practice that and turn their like brain off because even as they're standing at the top of that jump at the freaking Olympics, their brain is like, no, 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 this no, 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 safe. <laughs> this, this is dumb. <laughs> this is really <laughs> fucking dumb. <laughs> you really just brought it full circle with me saying four stories of height. I'm like, wow, I never thought of it in terms of how high that was. Yeah. Uh, I mean- so it was, you know, it was one thing to to have gotten the college education and gotten the secure job in the workforce and made everybody feel good about that. And then it's another thing to be like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving this full-time job and I'm going to do this thing with zero, like there was no plan B. It was just like, how we're doing this. did your friends, mm. family, I'm not sure if you had a partner mm. at the time, mm -hmm. how did, how, how supportive was everybody of your decision? Isn't that a fun one? <laughs> well, I was under the illusion that people were going to really like lean in and give me the warm hug. And the reality was they were sh secretly shitting themselves yep. over my decision. And that was like in, you know, years past, well, 
in hindsight, it was now like weirdly the greatest exercise in learning how to hold myself Mm. or back myself because I think I went into that again in my like uh, 20s with some expectation that like they ring around the rosy. Everyone should just be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Just, you know, it's so exciting. And it was not that. It was like, I don't want to say it was like flop sweat, but it was like expressing this thing that's about to happen and also shitting myself, but not being received with anything that had me feel like a sh- better about it. So yeah. I was just like, fuck, all right, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing now. Did, did you think yeah. your people thought of you as the person who was like very committed mm-hmm. and very even keeled, who always does the right thing? And then you did this like crazy ass psychotic break move or do you, were you kind of one of those people that like every six months you're like, I have a business idea and it's going to be amazing. And you dive into mm-hmm. it. And then two weeks later, you're like bored. No. Of it. Okay. I wasn't the six, every six months, like entrepreneurial seizure thing. That was yeah. not me. It was like, this has got to be better than what I'm doing. But I know that from the outside, the secure thing looks like the thing I should be doing, but it actually feels not great to me. So we're going to follow this thread. We're going to hope I can pay my car payment and we'll see where it goes. Right. So it was a lot of like, it was a lot of hustle and grind. I'm going to get back to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the the sort of standard conversation, but I'm curious, like there must've been a pretty scary moment in those first few years Mm. where you were like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. I did the wrong thing. I fucked this up. There's no going Mm. back. How did you get on the other side of that? You know, there were so many times where I would second guess. (laughs) Or maybe like there was one once a week. I don't know. Well, you know, I do distinctly remember year end and it's like, it's December. Okay. Everything's slowing down. Okay. Oh my God. Am I going to be okay? Like I remember being home for like a holiday (laughs) and sitting at like, a, a dinner with like friends from my hometown and like I must have just like logged into my was I guess on the I mean yeah I must have just noticed what my account balance was in my bank and it was like whoa all right we're gonna enjoy this meal we're, we're a little uncertain but then a few years in and I still have those moments where things get cyclical and I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, like the market's changing or like this is happening there. Or like, because I'm pretty tuned into that stuff. The cyclicalness of things, I think you become more practiced at not being thrown by it. Yeah. But it is so easy to look at a number or trends and then like second guess everything. I mean, oh my gosh. I'm actually creating like a whole, I'm calling it psychic, pro- psychic profits for 2023. Mm-hmm. And it's a little container for people because yeah, yeah. seasonality in business. It's so weird. I realized like yeah. my brain doesn't work normal. Uh-huh. And what I like, I think my superpower like in business is like patterns, mm-hmm. which is also why I love mm-hmm. systems and structure. But yeah, the yeah. first thing I tuned into was seasonality, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's the cyclical mm-hmm. nature. So everybody's business, like I was trying to build a venue. This was actually also in 2000. Well, it was probably 2007. And so Mm -hmm. I was looking at bars. I was looking at venues. I was looking at cafes. And so places where I could go in and partner or old spaces that hadn't been used. And I was like, okay, well, I need to know. I need to know how much money I can make. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, it's, you know, I'd worked in restaurants and not at that moment, but I'd worked in restaurants. I'd worked with bands and I this is going to be one of my BZ stories, so apologies. Um, I remember the first time I hosted a gig on an Aussie football night. 
and it was which was a Friday night. And at the time, I don't think we were doing Friday night football games in the U.S. I feel like there was like Monday night football. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just and like you were in Australia that. at that time. So I booked a gig mm-hmm. at a bar with a band, and it was a footy night. And the bar was full of people facing the other direction watching, watching TV, the TV. And they were really not excited about the fact that there was live music happening. And that was the first, that was my first like aha moment. And like, you need to know what is happening in terms of mm. events and like mm. in your industry, in the world, like things will be affected. Pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And so I remember building out a spreadsheet and I like divided it into quarters. And I was like, okay, summers and summer in Australia, like is the height of the holiday season. So you're doing Christmas and new years and Australia day. And so blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, this is probably going to be a really busy time for us. And then if it's really busy and everybody sees your band all the time, then they're probably not going to do that afterwards. And so I started thinking in terms of the seasonality and because my thought was, well, for touring constantly and playing gigs, we're going to be exhausted. Mm -hmm. So then I have to figure out how to get enough shit going when we stop doing that that mm-hmm. there's still money coming in, even though like I'm exhausted and I'm not going to mm-hmm. want to plant. So then, you know, I backtrack it like six. So anywho, the point being, I thought mm-hmm. about business like this. And when I was looking at this venue, I was like, well, how many beers probably not going to be selling a lot of beers and food before midday. So that's mm-hmm. going to be zero income. And I would see like the cycle in my day or the seasonality in my day when's mm-hmm. busy season, you can't do like happy hour there. So there's all the, just these different patterns that I'm looking at. And I find in business, I talk to a lot of business owners that are surprised by the slow season. They're surprised that every Christmas, no one wants their dog getting trained because they're going to be traveling too much or they're going to have a whole bunch of family in their house. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, it, and even people who have been in business, I remember speaking with one owner um, who was in home services in Austin. And they were like, there's no way I can, I can get predictive in my, the cash flow in my business. Like what happened last week was insane, let alone what happened this time last year. Like, it's just, it's immeasurable. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe, <laughs> like, but maybe if we yeah. measure it, we might be able to track it. So mm-hmm. that was a massive trend. Uh, but so I love thinking about yeah. business like that. And mm-hmm. I think that like in terms of cash flow, the way that people work is really different. And so knowing if you don't, some people cannot build their business or lead their business if there isn't money coming in. And that's amazing to know, figure out a way, like an income stream that creates that. Some people mm-hmm. love zeroing out their bank accounts every month. And there's there's actually like a whole budgeting and sort of investment way of planning your business where you literally take your accounts to zero. You start at zero at the first of the month and because that pushes everybody to make as much money as they possibly can, so on and so forth. So I think it's it's just a valuable lesson to call out that like the first time you realized I don't like it when it's slow <laughs> and I'm going to have a certain reaction to that can be just mm-hmm. a really powerful opportunity about how you work and rant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the cyclical thing, it's just, it's an easy rabbit hole to go down, but if you've been through a few cycles, you're like, Oh, well this is familiar. And didn't it, wasn't it fine on the other side of this? Yeah. yeah. So it's also, just like, like hey, hold- bank manager, can I have an overdraft account? <laughs> what does a business right. checking account with credit look like? <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was getting comfortable. So it's like, you know, it's like you're stepping out into the unknown, which is one thing. And then you're like, oh, this kind of works. Okay, like I'm able to, I've, and essentially like, right, here's, I think here's what it came down to. Noticing that I created a job for myself mm. and then going like, well, okay, now what? Right. <laughs> 
Now, where does it go? And that's where, you know, like you and I have had conversations about team. It's like, that's where going from, you know, solo bolo Lily show to having a solid team is like, there's just so much more of a difference that can get made. Mm. And then I realized there are just certain things that are not in my zone of genius anymore. And I did really enjoy wearing 15,000 hats. And I, you know, there's still lots of hats on this head, but I really, now I'm starting to appreciate the value in everybody having their own hats. (laughs) It just makes things so much more smooth, but also it allows us the space to kind of swing out and think about where we want to take things in a year or three years or five years. And when you're up in it, like doing all parts of it or still the cog in many, many wheels, which I, I, I was, and I'm still, you know, like trying, well, not trying. So getting out of my, getting out of some loops Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like I can even feel the vibe for my team. Like I do not need to be in this loop. So yeah, it's uh it's a wild ride going from you're the marketing department, the HR department, the accounting department, you're, you're doing everything and you're doing the business. And it's that old in the business to working, working on the business. It is, it, it is a big leap, but you know, and I definitely had moments where I went back and forth where I was like, Ooh, I don't like managing. Like, Ooh, I don't, I really like working hands-on with people. So I make sure that I'm still, um, that I still have, you know, clients that I'm working with because that those conversations and being able to help people problem solve in that way really does keep lighting the fire and my creative juices to be like, okay, great. Like, what do we need to create to like help people with that? So, so what is your job now? Like, what do you consider your (laughs) work? I'm doing air quotes for anybody listening. (laughs) Right. So my work currently, let me think about this. Think about like what I've been doing in the past few weeks. So it's strategizing it is program creation. It is a lot of web-based back end and communications. And it's a lot, and, and it's basically steering the ship. Yeah. I feel like we're, I'm, I'm moving into a phase where, and again, and then content creation is starting to become more of where I'm putting my time. And I'm ultimately just really getting that that's, that's part of being able to help more people is bringing value to them in a bigger sense, you know, and it really became apparent out of, you know, participating in some online programs where it's like, oh, you guys are on the other side of the world. You don't live in Philly. (laughs) You know, it's like, but you're really cool. I would love to help you. How do I do that? Right? Like, how do I do that? So yeah, that's where I'm looking right now. Cool. So, okay. Do you consider yourself a creative and or even an artist? I do consider myself a creative. Yeah. Like I don't want to say closeted, but when I was in advertising, that was really, I think my attraction to that whole world. I I, I still have old copies of communication arts, annual design (laughs) magazines. And that was like, that was my inspo. Like, this is amazing. Look at how these, look at how this campaign can evoke sell. It's clever Wow. Like that fascinated me so much about that whole world. And similarly, there's being a person working with someone and their dog. And then there's like outside of that, it's like, wow, how do we, how are we clever? How do we evoke, you know, how do we build trust? It's wild because there's so, I I can't even, couldn't even tell you the number of pieces, the moving pieces that really are a part of like whatever gets alchemized between 
an owner and their dog and a trainer. It's like, I don't know what happens there. Like, honestly, it's a little bit of magic and a little bit of like holding space, feeling it out, asking the right questions, responding to the questions, guiding, trusting. It's like you really have to be in people's listening to, I think that's really what it is to be, I mean, mechanic, being mechanically great at it. Is good. And one of the things I think that I feel challenged by is that a lot of what I can do with a dog and handler, I can't always keep, I can't always like describe what it is that happens. Yep. And that that somehow feels like I should be better at that or I should be able to break this down or explain it to people. But it, but it sometimes is just unfolding in real time. And, you know, you're kind of just riding the wave. So you, earlier you mentioned like mm-hmm. you had a vision and it really was like a vibe. Mm. It was a feeling that kind of, to me at least, it feels like that's what you're describing right now. Yeah, yeah. How did you and how do you like create and maintain the vibe? Mm. Mm. You mean of like the business, the company, the the the, the whole deal? Like how do you bring well, that all I, together? What I like <laughs> – yeah. What I'm kind of mulling over in my head mm-hmm. is you spent eight years going from in people's homes to opening your first location. And I heard you mm-hmm. say it was because like, that wasn't a perfectionist thing. It wasn't like it had to be the perfect location. It was like, it had to Mm-mm. feel a certain way. And yes. I, I knew, and, and this is what you're describing right now. Like yeah. you're invoking a feeling, you're invoking an experience. Mm-hmm. So you, you can see it and I and I correct me if I'm wrong but like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I experience it like I don't mm-hmm. have like like I couldn't give you a detailed list of everything that I want or see but I could like describe the day to you or like that that 2 mm-hmm. hours of interaction and really what I'm talking about is how everybody feels in it and so when I ask like what is your work what is your job my sense is is the vibe and even though like yeah. you described it as like I'm on the back end of the website shit all day, <laughs> it's so that like when I go to your website or I need to book an appointment or I want my doggy yeah. to go on a retreat for the weekend, um, yeah. when whatever it is that I'm doing as your client, buyer, customer, it, I'm going to feel exactly the way that you've intended me to feel sure. and that's the work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's what, like, how do you and you might not mm. even be able to describe this. This might be a I'll very try. hard question. But yeah, mm. how did like how how did you know? Okay, this is the right look. This is the feeling, and and like this is the feeling my people get. This is maybe even the feeling the doggies get. This is the feeling mm. my trainers have. So okay, so there. I find it fascinating that for a lot of us, there are certain environments where you find yourself in that feel like home. Mm-hmm. So when I dabbled in riding horses for a bit. I'd, I couldn't even tell you why, but the experience of being in a barn and smelling like the smell of the hay and the old like wooden floor, like the aesthetic, the actual like physically being in the space, the primitiveness of it, it felt familiar. Let's just say that. And so when you're looking for spaces, I mean, it is about the vibe of the space, right? So our first space we ended up, <laughs> ended up, we were in an old <laughs> cracker warehouse that has like exposed walls and big wooden beams and like, oh, okay, I can move in here. Like I can make, like, this is, yeah. It so felt like home. It felt homey. It felt, it yeah. felt homey. And, you know, again, pet world, a lot of times when you're getting into large spaces, 
7,800, 10,000 square feet, you're getting into a warehouse, yeah, which is vacuous and large and tall cold. ceilings, cold or extremely hot or back to the roof, you know, audio. Yeah. <laughs> vibrating and echoing everywhere. So I wanted not that. And I wanted not the traditional, you know, here's your four walls and like they're, you know, you could be anywhere and you're in this room with four white walls. So I wanted some in between and the the square footage was just about right for a studio. We weren't looking to get like a crazy amount of space. I wasn't looking to get into like the seven to 10,000 square feet game. So that felt really good. And then we had a client who was a designer who had some really great like local carpenters. So we were like, birch plywood, come on over, let's get it going. So, so that was, that was, I mean, and that was a process. The first time it was such a process. The second location was, um, so it's a little more urban centric. So it's very, very, very close to center city, Philadelphia. So as you can imagine, the square footprint, the, the footprints look a little different. <laughs> so we, we had a narrower building, but we had like two levels. And this was someone, it was funny, like back to creative and art. This was somebody who was running, he had like a selling location for furniture and he made furniture. And it happened that we had a mutual artist acquaintance in common so I knew his buddy and then he was like, oh, you know, you know, Rye. And I was like, no. So we got talking over the space. He was just looking to get out of the city and the space had wood wall. <laughs> he had hung the wood on the walls. There's the grill of the tractor on the wall. So it aesthetically kind of already worked. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> it's not a lot of, a lot to do here. I mean, I know, I know what I need to do here. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, we're talking like a pole barn. So like, I guess we're going real Barney on a, on us there and some space built out within that space. And then we're talking like a converted large multiple car garage, but you've got acreage there. So you've got like, you probably have the most traditional, <laughs> there's your four white walls, but it's attached to acreage. And like, yeah, it's funny that you say a vibe. It's like as a modality or as a means to an end, I think that that's where a lot of people can get stuck in terms of thinking of training as like, this thing to do in order to get some other thing. But really our, our vibe is this thing that you're doing to get to know each other better so that if you want to do more cool stuff that we can help you. You want to off-leash hike? Cool. Let's go. Come up for a lesson on the fence property and you can do that safely. So it's like, it's like, it's like taking it from this thing into the real world because like people need help connecting those dots. Like that's where a lot of modern training really, they're like, okay, like sit down, stay paw. Now what? And you're, you're like, yeah, none of those things actually really help you do that. And they're like, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I'm hearing, like mm-hmm. vibe is obviously the space, the feeling mm-hmm. it, it makes everyone, I mean, essentially home feels safe. It feels consistent. Mm-hmm. It feels like what, you know, it's very familiar, which mm-hmm. is probably a fantastic place to train anybody. <laughs> I mean, I like being in our spaces. Sometimes yeah. they're a little chilly in the winter. I run cold all the time, but you know. Um, but but <laughs> like vibe up. is also what I'm hearing is like mm-hmm. and and this is kind of like create like creating an environment that feels like home 
for almost anybody that walks into the space. And it's probably not the right space for somebody if they walk in there and they're like, I don't like this. But you're also anticipating what they need, which is kind of what it feels Mm. like when you go back home. It's like the food that you're familiar with is there. You know where everything is. And uh, like it's it's like you're answering questions Mm -hmm. before they even happen. And so I love that concept Mm -hmm. in terms of like, yeah, sitting is cool. But like being able to take your dog for walk off leash is necessary mm-hmm. for some people. I mean, that's right. sort of the, the, the next level yeah. of this kind of service that you're offering. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And then like, you know, like in our urban locations in East Falls, Philly and old city Philly, it's like, we are close to green space. So like on purpose. So yeah, if you need help, like sidewalk walking, we're going to do that. But if you need to move to, if we need to go a block down to the open space park and put your dog on a 30 foot leash so that you can experience what that is like, I mean, we can do that. I, I feel like with so many dog owners, it's helping them navigate and confidently sort of expand their comfort zone. So, because this all feels like artistry mm-hmm. and creativity mm-hmm. and what it is that you do. I mean, you're creating something out of nothing. So you birthed this business and and quite like a career and mm-hmm. an organization and something where people were for the most part, just solopreneurs and like freelancers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is your creative process? Like, how do you, do you mm-hmm. create the space for ideas? How do you recognize mm-hmm. when something isn't just a fleeting thing? Obviously it, it all doesn't take you eight years anymore. <laughs> so no. Walk us through Isn't your that wild? process. Okay. So I realized for myself that I tend to, I will write and voice note and voice memo myself and write notes on my phone. I tend to sometimes just voice memo myself as I'm hiking with my dog in the morning or as I'm driving. Those tend to be really good like times <laughs> where things just drop in. I also lately have found that if I go to bed with like a question, whatever happens between waking and actually sleeping, I tend to get some pretty good sense of where I need to take things at that point. And then I, so I have a six-year-old daughter. So a lot of times there'll be a, a very predictable 10, 10 30, like, mom, can you come sleep with me? So it's like, all right. And like sometimes shutting the laptop or whatever, like going in and I'm like, all right, let it, let it come in now. You know, I realized when I didn't allow myself space to be allowing the thoughts to kind of flow in Mm. that I would feel stuck and stagnated and like frustrated. And I think the biggest gift has been realizing that I, that like what's going to fuel the whole deal is opening up space and time and doing the things that allow those, those, those thoughts to come in. Much of the time I'm writing or voice memoing, and then I'm usually converting that into some sort of like Google document or spreadsheet. And then I'm a big fan of like, get it in there, let it sit, come back to it, take a look at it in two days. Does it still hold up? Yes, no. You know, in terms of things like- That's so fucking good. I love it. I mean, in terms of things like content creation, it's like there's a 30 page document with, I think probably all that stuff is still going to hold up. But in terms of like strategy, programming- looking at where you want to take something, visioneering something three to five years out. And it, it's having conversations with people in different facets of my industry. And then that, you know, often these people are friends, but they've got some insight into what's happening in a different part of the industry. And it's so interesting to just try to keep, get a sense of what's happening online. You know, it's like, I don't know because I'm getting fed particular pieces of information based on my algorithm, but just trying to sort of stay open to seeing the bigger picture and not what's trending, like trending it, that, that doesn't interest me, but it's still something to be aware of. 
it's more, for me, it's lifestyle. Like I'll look at, you know, I just threw one away, an Orvis dog catalog. And I'm like, this is interesting. What are they selling? What photos are they showing of people? What are they doing with their dog? What are their dogs wearing? Like that, to me, it's all like data collection. Yeah. So I think my brain sort of, yeah. 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 So I think it, it, it sort of filters in that way for me. And, and I don't have like industry publications that I'm like staring at all the time or anything, just like what I'm attracted to and what I'm calling in, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think it's also really cool when Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that just caught my eye. I'm going to trust that. Like I'm not seeking Mm -hmm. it out. I don't have some diligent routine on like every Monday Mm -hmm. morning, I read all the dog publications. No. (laughs) Like, oh, for some (laughs) reason, this feels like what should happen right now. There might be something in that. Yeah. Yeah. There's some interesting cross-culture magazines. So there's like some like higher end dog lifestyle magazines that are just interesting to observe because they're mostly produced, I think in the UK. And then, mm, yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly tuning into sort of that. And then I'm still talking to my friends that are working in the animal welfare field in some capacity, maybe mostly fundraising or granting or Mm. because it's, it's, it's also interesting to just get a sense of like what's happening, what's happening out there. Like it's not a world that I'm really that connected to anymore, but I would still love to really pursue some, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, I don't know. There's still something there that I would, you know, that I think could totally radically shift. There's still good problems to solve there <laughs> that everyone's well, trying to solve. that's one of those like, like yeah. let it percolate because those, those are big mm-hmm. questions. And those I are think big ones. It takes yeah. a certain level of agency in your position to be able to even say, how do we solve these bigger problems? Yeah. There's, yeah, there's layers, right? What I wanted to ask you, because I think a lot of people listening to this would love to be in the position where they feel like creativity and space and that trust mm. to know the more mm-hmm. space I give myself, the more ideas I'm going to have, the better leader I'm going to be. And this, you know, I mean, the tension between leading your business and working in your business. How did you... Uh, Tell me about it. How did you get there? And sort of the granular, like, how did you learn to delegate? How did you stop being the trainer and start being the boss? But then Mm. like to build on that, how did you trust? I don't need to be working 24 seven anymore. And in fact, more gets done when I start working smarter and harder. Well, you know, it's funny when you said like, it took you eight years to open that first space. I feel like I probably was clenching for eight years. (laughs) Yeah. I'm snapping. Yeah. Like, ah, like, really living inside of like, oh my God, is this going to work? 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 Probably perpetually a thought mantra in my head for eight years. And then being surprised when it did, like, despite that being like, this is work, this is working. (laughs) Right. So, and I don't, you know, I don't think that you're ever like arriving anywhere. I would hope not. Like, that's not my goal in life. It's like, I don't want to arrive anywhere. I would say there's only one place you're doing that. (laughs) There's no coming back. (laughs) Like if your to-do list is done, you're probably done. (laughs) I'm taking a dirt nap. Um, yeah, I have no intentions to quote arrive. Like I only want to like evolve. Right. So honestly, let's see. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think it, it's easy to tie a lot of value to how much you're doing. And then it, like, I, I, I realize there's a stuckness to being involved in everything, you know, and yet, however, like trying to execute a vision, like aesthetics matter to me, right? And experience matters to me. So, so sometimes I, I'm like, 
there are going to be some things where I'm like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to judge and I'm going to, that's just going to be a thing I do. I'm also like a stress cleaner. So <laughs> if I pop into a studio, I'm like, I'm just wiping down the counter. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing that right now. So in terms of getting, you know, getting back to like, how do you, you know, kind of work towards getting to that place? I had to really give up that. Okay. So there's this, there's this visual of that I just got shown recently of hermit crabs. Have you ever heard of the hermit crab, like outgrowing its shell? Yeah, I I was like that you weird ass video? kid that had like hermit crabs as pets. I did too. Yeah. Didn't everyone have hermit crabs as pets? And then you'd lose them because they would like, and then you'd find their shell and then they'd be in like something else and you're like, that <laughs> nature is weird. <laughs> so like there's this video, you can look it up. And what happens is that in the wild, hermit crabs, they like line up and they actually wait. They line up like smallest to biggest or something. And then they wait for like the big crab to get there. And then they do like a shell exchange where it's like, they just like pass the shell back the line. It is crazy. Okay. However, bringing this full circle. Um, we'll be YouTubing this, but hopefully it's not while we're talking right now. <laughs> you <laughs> I mean, wasn't on camera though. I'm not. It's wild. But like really getting that part, it, it, I think it took getting that in order to move a vision forward. Right. Not that there's a bigger place to be, but okay. So like if I'm really tied into to day to day, it can actually stunt the growth mm. of the bigger. Can you feel that when it's happening? Because I 100%. know when I get stressed, I micromanage and like I mm. hate the details and the micromanaging. So mm-hmm. I, I tune into it right away. But, I, but when I feel myself starting to like, when I get to like the third question about how something's happening, I'm like, Oh, this isn't, whoa, there's something else going on here. Let's address that and we can come back to it. I'm sorry I interrupted, but. No, I mean, I think when I feel that stuckness, I'm like, you know, and I think what I'm getting to is like, everybody works differently. So I have people on my team that are very, and it's also like interesting to know human design a little bit, but yeah, I have people on my team that are very like, they move quickly, they get stuff done. Like, and it's not just about getting stuff done, but it's like, I trust that, they're steering, they will let me know, like if, you know, they will bring me in. Yeah. Not, not just like the house is on fire, not like that, but like if, and when, and then I'm also getting that there are, uh, that everybody operates a little differently. So then there are also like moments where you're, where I get in there and I'm like, mm, this doesn't feel like it's structured in a way that's actually connecting the dots for other people on a team. So, so that has been a learning curve and Sometimes you're micromanaging, right? And sometimes you're also just suggesting that there's a missing structure that needs to be created. And I didn't realize for me that I resisted structure for so long. And that was fun, you know, eight, probably eight years of resisting structure. And then I realized structure just makes, it's like, you know, it keeps the, it keeps the, the foundations where it's at, the roof is where it's at. And the structure just keeps the, the roof and, the, and the, the foundation or the roof and the floor from collapsing together, right? Like that's what it's there for. It's, it has a purpose. It really just creates more ease for everyone if you're properly utilizing it. Yeah. So if there's anything where I get like, ooh, like, like my hose gets kinked, it's usually that there's, there's not some structure that's been created. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a guy I met years ago that said, like, I don't like to pile trash. I don't like to, what did he say? I don't like to take out trash more than once. Or I don't like to pile trash more than once. Basically, when yeah, you take the, the trash, the you don't I want like to touch to it again. If you find yourself <laughs> answering this question for the third time, yes. I, lo- I look at it like you haven't resourced your people effectively. 
Um, a lot of right. people that I work with right. think that someone's not listening and it's like not well firstly not everybody's an audible learner so mm. they literally might not be listening but secondly mm-hmm. if you've given them a reference and a resource and then you've empowered your team to learn how they learn they should be able to go read it somewhere go mm-hmm. hear it somewhere go watch it somewhere and especially mm-hmm. in this day and age in business and if and if you aren't saying, hey, we've already discussed this, go read the the training on that or go read the workflow mm-hmm. or the SOP or like there's an FAQ for that, that's an opportunity for you in your business and as a mm-hmm. leader. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because for me, like the first thing structure did in my business was mm-hmm. protect me. It wasn't about, I always say like your business should support you on your worst day and you know, the structures are there to hold you up and like the freedom Mm -hmm. is in the discipline. I learned that 10 years into it. But what I realized is if I don't have structure, I will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I can do that Mm -hmm. for about three months and Mm -hmm. then like I crash and burn So with structure, like I was literally talking about this yesterday with a client who, Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about her definition of success. And she's like, right now, it's just like a 40 hour work week and no work on the weekends. And I was like, who's asking you to work more than that? And, you know, Mm -hmm. silence. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's where structure Mm -hmm. was. Because I found if I give if I give myself three hours to get shit done, it gets done. If I give myself three weeks to get that same thing done or as you know, whenever it wants to get done, it takes that long. Yeah. And accountability on a team too, right? Like if it's open-ended that, that was a learning curve. If it's open-ended, it's, it'll take as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think, Mm -hmm. oh, now we're kind of, yeah. An environment where your people feel safe enough to say, I don't know if this is right. I don't think I'm doing this right. This feels like it could be improved on, you know, my people. Yeah will say to me, like, this sucks, BZ. And it's like, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up. W- what can we do to make it better? Like, mm-hmm. and if it's, you know, and they're like, just tell us what to do. I'm like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. but, you know, more often I'll be like, this is your wheelhouse. This is where I want you to be the expert. I don't want to wear all the hats. I don't want to, It's I don't know everything. I don't know the best way of doing it. And it's probably changed mm-hmm. since the first time we had this conversation. So, yeah, I think in terms of like, the vibe and the experience and the leadership versus the work and where to delegate and where to solve problems. It's a dynamic. I love this idea that the vision is a feeling because Mm -hmm. you can so easily go, Oh, this doesn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something's amiss here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when like the micromanaging shows up and, and when that feeling isn't in you, it's indicative of how your business is probably feeling as well. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about like the feeling and the vision. Another thing that it's like a reframe that really helped me also understand things better was really beginning to think of the organization as a living, breathing being. Yes. And not just this thing. Yeah. That we like. And when, when I started to think of it, like, does this dynamic support the living, breathing thing? You know, I, you know, I always have what I'll call like a, well, I mean, <laughs> any business owner in 2020, like, whoa, hard lessons, quick pivots, like move fast or die. So I now I'm like, I have contingency plans. Yeah. Like we're going to try this and then we'll, we'll try plan B. Like I actually have plan Bs. So yeah, I, I, and not only I'm like, I'm looking to evoke and, and help build relationships between people and people and their animals. And then between 
our team and those people. We're, we're, it's like, it's wild. I think about it. It's like, we're looking to improve upon the knowledge and the information that's out there and do it better. Or we're like, you know, I feel like what we do in our day training programs and like our farm dog programs and our board and train programs, those, that's like a learning lab for us. That's what that is. I mean, we're doing the thing, but it's like, it's where we try the new recipes, you know? And then, and then we revisit, like, does our curriculum hold up? Do we want to try things differently? You know, and, and, and different people innovate in different ways. But like, I always want to encourage a culture where it's like, here's the, here's like, here's what we're going off of, but feel free to get creative and riff. Because to me, as a, as a person, like working hands-on with an animal, like that's back to artistry and nuance. That's fun for me. Like just kind of make it up, but make sure that it's like, you know, make sure it's still tying back into a communication system. That's like making sense. You know, like sometimes the dogs are just confused and the people aren't being clear. It's just that simple. And I imagine it's not that different in business. Sometimes the, the team is just confused. Yeah. And maybe I'm sometimes not being clear. Confused. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes sure. I'm confused and they're right. So it's <laughs> right. Well, and that's yeah. something I was kind of thinking about. I think the perception is like, you're always selling, you're always growing, you're always pioneering, you're always, tra- mm-hmm. you know, expanding. Sometimes you're treading water. Sometimes you don't know what the mm-hmm. next best move is. And mm-hmm. that's not to say you're in survival mode or you're triaging or you're in crisis. It's yeah. just like, yeah, sometimes in business yeah. you're, you are confused and you're like, okay, I mean, it's mm-hmm. working like, or it's great or it's, mm-hmm. it's iffy, but I don't I don't know what that next thing is. And so with like, when you said, you know, I think of my business as its own entity how do you like interweave if you do at all spirituality? Mm. And I, I think of like the spiritual energy and the creative energy is, is being the same frequency mm. really. But mm. um, how do you interweave business and spirituality? Well, you know, there's a, there's a funny moment that happened right before we were about to record. And, and I was like, maybe I'll have a chance to talk about this. Maybe I won't. And it's like the hippie devious thing of all time. I have this on. Cause I, I, um, cut myself on a rose quartz. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Wow. Right. What is that? I'm mean? like, Ooh. what is that? I don't know. I'm not looking <laughs> it up, but I dropped it. I dropped one the other day and it broke and I was like, of course I can go. Oh, that, so, that's a thing. I break all of uh, my crystals, all of my malas, <laughs> all of my crystals, they all break. And I'm just going with the fact that like, I'm so, you know, my energy is so powerful. I break them all and the lessons have been learned. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time I took what, what, there's a woman in Denver, Sarita at Tibetan Imports uh-huh. for anybody listening in the greater Denver area. She's a Vedic astrologer. And so she'll read your chart and then uh-huh. a mala will speak to her. She can make malas. But so the first time I brought my broken mala back in, she's like, well, you've learned everything you need to know from this. And I was like, yeah, my ego loves that. And also, <laughs> like, right. what do we do with this? But yeah, yeah you know, it's funny, right? Because like when, you know, you have mm, with an organization, I've gotten a, a little more, okay, back to detecting patterns and stuckness. <laughs> I got, you know, I began to sort of study energy and communication um, I've done there's, some like there's energy up. behind communication, one thousand percent science, data, and mm. woo. As fact, I want to learn sure. more about that. All right, well, t- let's mm. tell us more on a podcast sometime. No, it's interesting, right? We're talking about cyclicalness and patterns within business. Once you have a team of people that you're working with, I, I realize I'm like, uh, mm, this is really interesting too. I'm like feeling into energetic ebb and flow with people, 
And there, I think there were definitely times where I was like, is this me? Is this you? Is this like, what is this? But also getting that, like, ultimately it's a co-creation. However, so back to like, you know, getting spirituality in there. I mean, I guess I'll talk about studio spaces. Sometimes, you know, you're with a client and things are quite intense. So we do keep sage sprays in our studios and we have like incense that, I I mean, I'm a big like smoke, air, burn it out, clear it out. So I think culturally that's just been like, it was like happening and then it just kind of kept happening in those spaces. And, you know, people sometimes walk in and be like, oh, it smells really good in here. But for, for me, like, I think it's it's all about recognizing energetics. Like, again, where there's a kink in the hose, where maybe something is showing up in terms of team communication or perhaps where something's showing up where it's like we're getting more clear about, oh, I mean, with clients, that's been incredibly interesting. We tend to really work with very aligned clients and now we're very good at really quickly identifying when there's n- alignments off and then like making the move to be like, I don't know how this is, how this communication is happening. is like, maybe, maybe we're not the ones for you. Right. And, and occasionally we'll have an outlier client where, yeah, where you're just, the pattern is so similar. So it's like, we've had, a, we've been in business a number of years and we have like, yeah, back to cycles. It's like, There'll, there'll be an ebb and flow in team in terms of just like tuning into the energetics of the team, tuning into the energetics of like the client. And I think if there's anything like in terms of interweaving the spirituality, I feel like there's, there's space, right? Not everybody is like super into any one thing, but certainly create the space for people to, you know, be as dog loving and earth loving and nature loving as they, they, they are, or however they show up. I would say, yeah, I'd say we, we, it's, it's about trying to, not trying to, but it's about like elevating the vibe, matching the energy. And I would say if there's anything that's ever up or I'd suspect is up, I can totally feel it at a gut level. Like I, in the hindsight that there were times where I was like, why am I thinking about this a lot? Or what, like, why does that feel like not great in my gut? And now I'm like, hmm, listening to that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard, you know, because it you're is. like, you, you want to be like, I don't know, maybe it's just a feeling, but it's like, well... I've been at this a while and I know that, that that's indicative of something now. Whereas before I just probably was going at too fast a pace to really consider that or give it much credence. And Nailed it. Like, too fast of a pace. Also, we're mm-hmm. taught that business needs to be all in your head and all in a spreadsheet. And I, I right. found that it's those gut decisions for me that don't make any sense. Like you, when you mm-hmm. put them on a spreadsheet, you're like, this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But to your point, like it doesn't go away. <laughs> it doesn't sit right. And so when you know, when you're looking at something like that, it's like you're probably saying no to what should be a very profitable decision, or you're saying yes to something that financially doesn't look like it's going to mm-hmm. be profitable. But mm-hmm. there's that knowing. And I don't, I mean, correct, like I would love to hear your mm. thoughts on this. And we should also, any final thoughts you have to share as well, because we've, mm. we've been at this for a minute. But it took me a while to get there and to have the confidence to say no to things that on mm-hmm. paper look really good or to say yes to something that on paper looks bad. And 
the last few years for me, especially with 2020, and I, I get this really interesting vantage point because I get to see behind the scenes of so many different businesses and so many industries. Mm, yeah, but true. Through your consulting when and you're coaching. Working, you, know, you said a co-creative process. And oftentimes I'm working with partners in business. I'm working with clients in their business. Yeah. I also work with my people. I feel like every single person in my business is a stakeholder and mm. has a seat at the table. And up until very recently, I allowed everyone their input and I would take all of that into consideration, mm -hmm. even if I was feeling that inner knowing of like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, we got to do this or this is a bad idea. And I would let it ride. What I noticed... <laughs> especially in like reflection in the last couple of years mm -hmm. is there was a part of me that was like, because I'm right. And I'd almost wait until the thing exploded or I would mm. wait until it was almost too late to take advantage of the opportunity. So I could like mm -hmm. swoop in as the hero. <laughs> and so there's some ego in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for someone like where leadership, that wasn't, that's not been my challenge that my challenge has been more like including people. So I was probably overcorrecting on that, but yeah, that gut knowing for me, it took like 20 years to really, I mean, and I would still say I'm refining it in this moment. Yeah. But Likewise. yeah. And I, I don't, I'm sure there's, I feel like there are people who lead very instinctually and very intuitively when you're able to make decisions on that level without really any backing or experience. I, I feel like it comes with its own costs. I don't know. That was a lot of talking. What mm -hmm. do you think? <laughs> Mm. No, I, you know, it made me think of you had shared a story, I probably on a different on a podcast about you were working with a business owner who's like, I'm gonna let this team fail. Yeah. And they're gonna learn. But it's, you know, I, I feel like it's the process they may need to go through in order to <laughs> realize that that didn't that did or didn't work. So I'm not saying I'm all for that. But I do think as like a culture obsessed with like, we're always, and I think that that's like that, you know, in terms of managing team or like just, you know, co-creating when people aren't used to like the dips. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, it's going to be fun. But like it, they don't live in a world where they've lived through cycles where they've already been able to have that information. Right. So being a space holder <laughs> while being like protective of your energy, I think is like. I don't, I have certainly not mastered it, but I'm working at it. And then I feel like I hear you on the like input from everyone. However, yeah, it's like, I think you do. It's like trusting your gut means that the information coming at you, I don't know, it can just hit and feel a certain way when there's alignment. And there's also a willingness to understand that like, I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. Like we are, we are doing our best with the information we have and pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries is not always going to be comfortable. It's never going to be comfortable. It's never comfortable. That's not. Yeah. Like I wish someone had told me like <laughs> establishing boundaries means you're going to disappoint and piss people off every single time. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> otherwise they'd call it like mm -hmm. handing out candy. Uh, okay. Last question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned compassion fatigue at the beginning and how yeah. that was, uh, yeah. Like, a deal breaker yeah. for you. Um, yeah. How how do you how do you not get compassion fatigue? Or what would you say to somebody mm. who's getting into an industry where they or who approaches mm. their work like you do, where it is in service? How yeah. do you put boundaries around you to keep you from experiencing compassion fatigue? Mm. 
I don't think I really understood what <laughs> I think I came out of my shelter industry experience on the ground being exposed to a lot, but not like having any conversation around like, well, that was really like, that was really intense or that was really traumatic that you saw that <laughs> or that you experienced that or whatever. Like I wasn't aware in the moment that I was going to be exposed to a, a varying degree of like energetically heavy stuff. And I didn't have, I remember at the, at that point, you know, I think it's a, it's a red flag if you are like throwing yourself into your work, hitting the ground running, very adrenalized, going, 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 going. Well, if you're in an industry that's very reactionary nonstop, I'm going to say that you're, you're not initiating, you're being led and probably you're probably running on adrenaline most of the time. Right. I mean, like, look, the advertising industry is also probably that industry. Yeah, I would say like, I mean, I feel like you know, anyone might feel like it would not be hard yeah. to feel like that about almost all industries. Because when you take your right. work seriously and you're passionate about it and you're dedicated mm-hmm. and you're ambitious, it, mm-hmm. all, it can all, the opportunity to think of everything as a priority and potentially as a crisis is very real. Yeah, yeah. I think- um, And I know that that like, for mm-hmm. people who are in, you know, health services or yes. animal services or veterinary, you know, like medical, like, you know, like, you know, when there, I was a friend of mine works. She's a behavioral counselor at an inner city public school that mm-hmm. is essentially where like anybody with like learning disabilities are said say learning challenges, but it's like yeah. you know where the tougher cases go to school, and so I'm not mm-hmm. trying to compare like my accounting firm to her work, but I will tell you my accountants yeah. think that when they get yeah. an email, it is a crisis. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, I would just say like, look, a lot of us are going to be in, it's like sort of like, look, you have an opportunity to do work while grounding yourself without getting on the train. And I didn't have enough knowledge of energetics at that point in my career to not get on the train. I just got on the train because it seemed to be what everyone else was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and the red flag to me in hindsight was I would come home and like just I I think I'd like go out, lay on my couch and then I would just like immediately fall asleep and like go to bed and then wake up and do it all over again. Yeah. And I was sleeping so much, but like full on when I was in it. And what I didn't realize, you know, was that and I guess I was building a business at the same time. It was a lot of things were happening. However, any kind of study of energetics, any kind of study of regulation, <laughs> I think it's always helpful to help somebody not get thrown. To me, it was just like I had to rest. I had to just extract myself from those types of conversations for a hot minute without, you know, being activated by them. And like also for me, I found different ways to be in contribution to that community that didn't require the same kind of showing up in a physical sense. So that was like my win there. Yeah, I don't know that I have any sage advice other than really getting a sense of what co-regulation is all about and well, what's your, um, being like, able what's to bring your yourself back. Ener- mm. Energy routine, if you have one. Mm, I don't know that I have one. I mean, I hike. <laughs> that, no, that's I get massive. Up, get outside. I, like, I, I, mean, I get that, up and I get outside. That's one of mine. Get outside. Yeah. yeah. I get outside. I try to get in the sun. If it's a sunny day, I, you know, um, well, I, like, I also think that like, that's also something I've worked really hard to cultivate Mm -hmm. is it doesn't have to look like, you know, a 90 minute meditation practice with 30 Mm -mm. minutes of journaling, journaling in my 
green teas at 108 degrees and I burn white sage because, you know, my ancestry is Northern Mm -hmm. California. And like, no, it can literally just be like, oh shit. Like I can feel myself sending like the email without like thinking about what I'm saying and 18 typos were in it. Go outside, bitch. Like go sit. And if I'm a you nature count girl. your breaths for 10 inhales and 10 exhales, we're good. You can go back to work now. <laughs> like, yeah. For me, it's like sun getting outside and then yeah. with winter coming, I'm like, okay, I need to plan some time where I'm back in the sun. Like that I feel is a thing. As it gets colder, I got into the infrared sauna blanket. Yeah. Oh, I can do some work yeah. in that thing, which is kind of fun. But yeah, no, it's to me, it's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little sage, a little incense, a little get the thing done. But usually it's getting it set in the morning with either some sort of movement or hiking yeah. and hiking with my dog. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I love it. Well, yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I found this fascinating. I was so grateful yeah. to get to like pick and go deeper. Um, yeah. If someone wants you, yeah. maybe not you specifically. Well, firstly, if someone wants to take their dog on a doggy me. retreat. Um, yeah, if they want to come train. If someone is anywhere near yeah. you physically or are there yes. things happening online, like tell us yeah. about where people yeah. can find you, so, where people can learn more. Absolutely. So people can find us if you're local to Philly or on the East Coast. We have clients all over the East Coast. People can find us at opbarks.com or Opportunity Barks Behavior and Training. If you're close to us in Philly, Illy, Illy, come see us in Old City or East Falls. If you are north of the city in Bucks County, come up to Quakey Town and get you going with the with the acreage and the good times in the country. I just like and tell then, us a little bit about what happens there because I think that's pretty oh, yeah. I, I watched so you go live mm. or will your team goes live on Insta yeah so if anybody needs to just go for a hike with a bunch Alyssa of dogies, you can do that almost every day <laughs> well yeah so classes lessons and then drop-off training programs so drop-off training programs happen in the city you drop off your dog we work with them and then we loop you in with lessons board and train happens outside of the city and then our farm dog program which is just you know we talked a little we touched on industry stuff like what's happening in a shelter that's not great is kind of what's happening in the industry. This is our like, Hey, how about we do something that no one's doing? So we have dogs that are either local to us, get dropped off at the farm or they come up from the city and they're transported up to the farm and they get trained and it's a structured day of like off leash hiking. And then they go home and then they sleep for like two days straight, which is awesome. And it's like that doggy ind- summer camp, and it is it is the fucking best. I the love doodles anytime are like- I need a little pick me up. I actually just like go to your profile and like <laughs> it's Alyssa on the ATV going on a hike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she does amazing work capturing their their joy and just their their whole thing. Um, they're the, yeah, the and happiest doggos. They're ever. like yeah, yeah. And we're gonna be we do virtual training online, and we're gonna be bringing a lot more of that online so people can you know perhaps learn to implement how to be. How be how to be a farm dog where, wherever they are, or how to you know? Wow, do this I love thing. that because when you think about farm mm-hmm. dogs, you think about like you know the Aussie cattle dogs, like the Australian shepherds, like the dogs that are like like you know keeping the herd together and they're yeah. like working. Right. Or you think about these, you know, these, you know, everyone as a kid, it's like, like the dog went to the farm and it's like, no, actually they did go to the farm and they had a great time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They did. And it's an actual place that you can visit and take your, send your dog to. So yeah, I'm just, you know, really grateful to have the opportunity to, to have this conversation. It was so much fun for me. So thank you so much. And, uh, launching or, or up, um, I think we've got five episodes. We're going to talk about it soon on the, oh, the new podcast. Yeah, new podcast. Life well lived with dogs. It's called Life Well Lived with Dogs, where Life we're talking well lived with dogs. And where can people listen? Yeah, to it? 
We're talking well, about like um, anywhere, really. In the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking dogs, dog training, and then just people's trajectories with their dogs, their journey with their dogs. So a little bit of just, you know, human meets dog world and um, having some really cool, incredible conversations. It's just interesting to hear everybody's experience and, and what they've been through as an owner, <laughs> where they are, where they started, you know, what they've learned I along the that. way. They're I such, like I mean, they're but. like, they're the teachers, right? Like Rue is your teacher in well, so there, many ways, I'm the sure. regulation is so real. And there's just, mm-hmm. it's really interesting watching Rue with my mom who's got Parkinson's and who's mm-hmm. been really struggling. There's just like a knowing that's happening from mm-hmm. her, like her being the dog. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, and then they have a puppy that's being trained as a service animal. Yeah, the Bernie, um, the Berna dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Bernadette, and uh, <laughs> she's a fucking puppy, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just it's. I have a yeah. Would love. Well, we'll have that conversation. You know, cool. I'd love to hear more about that and what's going on with Rue and what you're observing because it's like that is a thing. Already, love. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you I, so I much. Have an so great day. Day. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, love. Bye, busy.